Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This week on the Chicago Bears Review. With our same place opponents done, it's one group down, three left to go. As we move on to our AFC East opponents and kick off our previews with last year's fourth place finisher, the New York Jets. Is Darnold the answer at quarterback, and can he shine early on? Michael Nania from Gang Green Nation joins us for the AFC East preview episode of the Chicago Bears Review. Feels like we're just getting started, and here we are, show number three already, our third opponent preview out of the 14 that we have coming, kicking off the AFC East opponents. What's going on, everybody? Larry D. back for part one of the AFC East preview of the Chicago Bears review. Looking forward to doing this, because it's kind of a beginning of the end for me. You guys have heard me mention it a few times before that... Since I started doing the interviews for the shows, for the opponent previews uh, and such, I have yet to, well, we have yet to play the AFC East. So this is going to finally complete the 32 teams of the NFL for me. So I'll be able to, um, you know, complete the cycle, if you will. And this is the beginning of that um, when, um, you know, I, I know that on the, at the end of the last show, I was talking about how I hadn't heard from anybody from the Jets yet and uh, you know I'd reached out to a few people hadn't heard back and they were the first show up and of course I'd, I'd heard from everyone else except for the Jets which like I said was especially troublesome because there was the show that in if I was able to maintain the order that I like to go in for these shows which is worst to first the Jets are up first and I haven't heard from anybody there so was finally able to get in touch with Michael Nanya who uh, is from SB Nation's uh, Gang Green Nation uh, website he's a writer for them and um, turn on the Jets I think he mentions it at the end of the uh, the interview and um, I think it's turn on the Jets is in another blog that he writes for um, so he's uh, you know a big fan of the Jets and uh, you know we had a good talk and, and covered a lot of ground uh, talking about the Jets and the the trade that that made it possible for the Jets to get Sam Darnold missing out on the uh, Kirk Cousins sweepstakes his feelings about Todd Bowles and all of the above um, we talk about uh, quite a bit uh, when we get uh, when we get to that here in just a uh, a moment. So, um, you know, before we uh, get to our talk, uh, really only a couple of things. It's uh, harder and harder to find the news and notes when when you're banging out the shows at a couple of days, uh, you know, pace here. Did the last uh, show on or at least the last show on Sunday. So, um, you know, it's only been less than 48 hours, maybe a little bit more since uh I released the last show, and really the the news out of, coming out of Hallis Hall right now is the fact that the um, mandatory uh, voluntary veteran workouts started this week. So minicamp uh, is underway. Everybody is in tow. Uh, haven't heard anything about anyone missing or anything like that. Uh, the man, it's mandatory, so everyone has to show up. I don't think attendance has been an issue at all yet. Uh, for the Bears. So uh, even though I think Roquan Smith still hasn't signed his rookie deal yet, if he did, that would completely under the radar. I haven't heard about it yet. Not that it's you know, going to be any kind of an issue, or at least I don't think it will be. Uh, anyhow, everyone else in the class has signed. I don't think I've ever announced that on the show. You guys probably knew that. The Bears signed everyone in the rookie class except for Roquan Smith, like really banged it out <laughs> real quick. Um, everybody under contract Roquan's uh, still negotiating or I don't know if they're talking or whatever the deal is, but we've got what six weeks seven weeks before uh, Training camp starts so uh, no big hurry. Uh, actually, it's more like five or six at this point We start on the 19th or the 20th something like that 
madness how quickly it's coming. But um, nonetheless, uh, workouts are, are good. I just watched some quote unquote highlights uh, on Bears.com here a few minutes or Chicago Bears.com a few minutes ago. Um, everybody in, in helmets and, and uh, you know jerseys and shorts running around looking professional and whatnot. So no big deal uh, there. And um, the one big story coming out of Chicago this week was the gesture that the Bears made to Zach Miller. Uh, signing Zach Miller to a one-year contract this week and then immediately putting him on the pup list, the physically unable to perform list. Um, an amazing move. Uh, by the Bears, especially considering this is a a group of people that had no hand in bringing in Zach Miller. I mean, as even though Ryan Pace is has been around, this is his fourth year as our GM. Um, he wasn't the first. Uh, you know, it was Phil Emery that brought Zach Miller in in 2014. Um, you know, so Brian Pace bringing him back. This is a, and, and this another coaching staff uh, has come in. And, um, you know, it, it's an amazing gesture that the Bears are making to Zach Miller. Absolutely the, the, the right move. The guy's had nine surgeries on that knee uh, since, uh, since almost losing his leg in that devastating injury against the Saints where he caught a goddamn touchdown pass. <laughs> but, um, you know, he, he's, uh, he's going to be with the Bears this year um, in some kind of capacity. He plans on... Uh, being a presence in the tight end room and, and basically being a, a de facto uh, coach uh, of some kind. He's going to be in the building around the team. And, uh, you know, this is also another way for the Bears to be able to take care of uh, Zach Miller and make sure that he gets the medical care he needs uh, in order to bring that knee to full recovery. Now, whether or not that means playing again at some point, I don't think I th- the odds are heavy against that at this point, considering his age and the severity of the injury and uh, and so on, but whatever it means, uh, getting him to 100%, um, he's going to be doing it as a member of the Chicago Bears, and I think that's really an amazing uh, thing. So I, I thought that was a really cool thing uh, when I read about it for the first time, and it's got nothing but praise from from all over, you know, from people, you know, uh, supporting of the team and from outsiders and, and so on and so forth, talking about what an amazing uh, gesture, what an amazing uh, thing it is that the Bears are doing. Uh, I read a tweet online today from Akeem Hicks uh, saying that he's proud that to belong to an organization that takes care of its players. And that also, you know, if nothing but uh, for a PR move, I mean, if the Bears want to be at that, you know, if the Bears are calculating like that, it does send an amazing message to everyone else uh, in, in the league as far as the players are concerned. Like, maybe this is a place that I do want to go because look what they did for Zach Miller. He's not going to help them out at all in 2018, not, not on the field anyway. And they sign him to the veteran minimum. He's going to be with the team and, uh, and all the rest of that stuff. Maybe this is a team that I need to look into being a part of uh, 2019 and, uh, and beyond. So uh, at the very least, if as far as self-serving, that very well could be uh, something that uh, you know might come to fruition uh, going forward. People see things like that. Players see, see things like that, especially if someone's in a situation they're not a fan of. Well, I'm going to go to Chicago. Look what they did for Zach Miller. So um, that could be something, you know, whether it was an, an unintended benefit, something that does benefit the Bears going forward, making a move like that. So Zach Miller going to be a part of the Bears in 2018. Uh, snowball's chance in hell it actually happens on the field uh, but uh, very happy to hear that uh, he's being taken care of uh, this year so um, really guys that's it um, basically all I have left for you is to let you know that uh, Kevin Noggle from Finsiders on SB Nation is going to be our guest on Thursday uh, so that show will be out either Thursday night or first thing on Friday uh, so be looking forward to that and then next week we got Buffalo uh, and the Patriots uh, to uh, finish out the AFC East. And it, it's, uh, you know, it, it, this is a, a schedule that the Bears have this year where they play those four straight games against the AFC East. It's back to back to back to back uh, right there, like right in the middle of the season. I think the Bears come back from the bye playing the AFC East, like week six through week nine, six, seven, eight, and nine, the four games the Bears play coming off of the bye. Uh, I think are all the AFC East teams. So the entire second quarter of the schedule is the Bears against the AFC East. So 
um, it's uh, it's it's going to be interesting when we just bang all that out right away there in the uh, in the, the the month of October, basically. So um, anyway, that's all I got uh, for now. Uh, right now, I'm going to step aside and bring in our, our new friend, uh, Michael Nania, who who saved who saved my show. Uh, you know, like I told you guys before, I was going to have to go out of order and talk to the Miami guy first and so on and so forth and finally got in touch with uh, a Jets guy. He comes on the show. We had a great talk, and I hope you guys enjoy it. So here's myself and Michael Nania from Gang Green Nation talking about the 2018 New York Jets. And to help us kick off our AFC East opponent preview episodes, starting with the New York Jets, he was uh, not the first guy that I got in got that not the first guy that I reached out to, but the first one to respond. God bless him, Michael Nania from Gang Green Nation. Mike, thanks so much for being on the show, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm glad to be on. So, Mike, what we like to ask all of our our new friends that we have on the show, because this is the first time since I started doing interviews that we've played the, the we as the bears have played the afc east so this is the first time i've had a chance to interview any of you guys so what we like to do is ask you know um where are you from where are you now how long have you been a fan and what is your favorite memory as a fan of the new york jets well i've been a fan pretty much since i was younger i started seriously rooting for rooting for them and getting into them really deep around 2010 about the Rex Ryan AFC championship years. Okay. Um, and how I became a fan, it's kind of weird. My dad is a Giants fan, Uh-oh. but he actually invested in Jets season tickets because they were cheaper than the Giants, and he <laughs> did it with my uncle. So I went to Jets games, and I became a Jets fan. So it did not really run in the family, but I kind of found myself falling into it, and here I am. So... I grew up, I was born in Yonkers, New York, which is just outside the city, and I grew up there, and right now I live in North Carolina, so rooting for them from afar, yeah. Right, so you, 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 you fall into that pattern, and it's, it's something that I find, especially with SB Nation uh, writers, is that you know they are rarely in the market for the team that they are for they're rooting for. You know, got to invest in the Sunday ticket, or you're at you're at sports bars on Sundays watching the games because on, it's it's going to be rare for your team to come to you on TV. Yeah, I it's a great site for kind of just you know it's great for commenting discussion. Just yeah, I think that's why it's really attractive to people who are far away fans who live away from their local market. Yeah. Yeah, but it's like you know my um, the my 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 Denver uh, my Denver girl. She lives out in South Carolina. Uh, the guy that I talked to for the Saints, he's in Northern New York or upstate New York, I should say. Uh, you know, my Chargers guy lives in Missouri or something like that. I mean, it's like nobody lives where their team is or anything uh, like that. So to find one is, is like finding a four leaf clover. You, you're it's it's uh, more rare than it is uh, common um, amongst the bloggers and writers. Uh, and such so uh, do you have a favorite memory as a fan uh, my favorite memory and it's tough because like I said just rooting for them since kind of like the the end of the championship years I kind of started rooting for them seriously after that so I haven't even since I started seriously rooting for them seen playoff appearance yet but favorite memory would definitely be the 2015 season when they won 10 games with Fitzpatrick and beating the Giants in overtime watching that with my dad that was crazy i love that so being the giants in overtime 2015 would probably be my favorite memory the past few years okay that works so 2017 what uh what were the expectations going into the season you guys had a high draft pick um you know 2016 wasn't all that great um you know you go out and you get a a a guy that i wanted desperately uh in chicago which was jamal adams with your top pick at number six, you weren't expecting him to be there. He falls in your lap uh, there at number six, and um, you know you, you you get off to a th- uh, you you start zero and two, then you rattle off three victories in a row. You beat Miami, Jacksonville, you beat uh, Cleveland, and then it just kind of you know you went uh, two and ten the rest of the way. 
to finish uh, what five and eleven, five and eleven uh, mm-hmm. last year. So I mean, you know, talk about twenty seventeen, the expectations, and then how the season unfolded. Yeah, the expectations were about as low as they can be. There were some zero and sixteen projections out there. That's right. Pretty sure yeah. they had the low, the lowest Vegas win total projected. And that was, I mean, I think it was pretty fair because the Jets clearly were in a kind of a rebuild mode in the offseason. They cut a ton of big names. They got rid of David Harris, Eric Decker, Darrell Revis, just plenty of mainstay, and Nick Mangold as well. Just a lot of big veteran names that clearly sent the message that they are rebuilding starting over. So I, I don't think those projections were really that unfair. To say they'd be winless I think because it takes a lot to not win a game as we've seen right. the Browns this year. It's only second time ever that it's happened. So I think those were kind of uh, out there, but for them to be projected as one of the worst teams in the league, I think was completely fair, but they definitely beat that with, I think a lot of younger players kind of outperformed expectations. Jamal Adams and Marcus May, who they drafted the first two rounds, two safeties. They both were, they had a lot of really good moments and, I think the biggest reason that they kind of outperformed expectations and were competitive in the early part of the season had to be Josh McCown. He was, and I don't think he was great, um, but or even average. I'd say he was averages for the most part, but he kept them really competitive in the early se- early part of the season. He had a really good deep ball, especially with with Robbie Anderson. He really broke out last year. The he was undrafted receiver out of Temple in 2016. He had a decent first year, but he really broke out this year with McCown. He's definitely evolved into one of the better deep threats in the league. I believe he had seven 20-plus yard touchdowns, and they were deep ball touchdowns. They weren't catching runs. So I think McCown, Anderson's breakout, and just a lot of really surprising younger player performances. And also Jermaine Curse, who was kind of a trade throw-in when they traded Sheldon Richardson to Seattle. He was also really strong in the season, so... They definitely were a lot more competitive than we thought they were going to be because of players who we really didn't expect performance out of right away. So the the five and eleven record was was that due to having quote unquote one of the worst rosters in the league? Was it injuries that saddled the season after the three and two start or bad luck, bad calls? I mean, you know what what kind of unfolded? It's like you guys are three and two. You guys right. are some one of the surprising teams of the first quarter of the season. And then right after that, you lose three in a row and then five out of six. And then the next thing you know, you've only won two games after a three and two start. Well, I think you can kind of separate that two and nine finish into two parts. I think the first part of it, they lost a ton of really close games where they're leading the fourth quarter, were playing really competitively against really good teams and just kind of blew it at the end. And then the second part of it was the last three games of the season. Josh McCowan out, Bryce Petty came in, and when Petty came in, the offense was just completely lethargic. They couldn't get anything going with him. I believe they had two touchdowns in his three starts, which is obviously completely terrible. So once Petty went out the last three games of the season, they had pretty much no chance. But before that, the early the three-game losing streak following the three-and-two start, they were leading in the fourth quarter of the last two of those games against Miami and Atlanta and against New England at home they were up 14 nothing in that game mm. and threatening to go up more so definitely a lot in the early part of that a lot of blown fourth quarter leads and a lot of those were on McCown with really untimely turnovers like in the Miami game they lost they were winning by I believe two touchdowns in the fourth quarter and then the secondary just went off the off the wheels uh, Buster Screen, he's the sock corner. He gave up three touchdowns in that game. So he played a part in that, and Josh McCown had a really bad interception that the Jets were going to go to overtime. It was tied. The Jets had the ball. It's about 30 seconds left. And McCown threw a really bad interception that let Miami win the game in the fourth quarter. And then in the Atlanta game, they, he also had another untimely interception at the end. So they did lose a lot of close games that kind of set them off, kind of put them on the losing streak there after the 3-2 and two start. So I think that they overall, if you take out the last three games when Petty played with McCown under center, I think you could say they played like a six-win kind of team, maybe with a little bit of luck, a seven-win, maybe eight-win team. But So I do think the five wins kind of undersells them a little bit, mm-hmm. but they still do have a, lot, a long way to go before they're a 
legitimate playoff contender. And they made moves towards that this offseason, but mm-hmm. I don't think they did play like a playoff team last year, but I think it's fair to say they're a little bit better than the five wins. Sure, sure. Um, now, Todd Bowles, do you think that he was able to, to keep the job because the, the Jets somewhat exceeded what, what the general consensus of expectations was? going into the season was he always going to keep the job or you know is this a you know make or break year for him uh going in you know I was kind of wondering you know and, and first of all what what is your opinion uh of Josh Bowles because it it's I, I got no like evidence to support this but it's just kind of like a gut feeling that I have about a guy like Todd Bowles who is such a good defensive coordinator those guys rarely have success as head coaches because now they're coaching the whole team as opposed to just that one unit, kind of like a, a Wade right. Phillips where he was a lousy or mediocre head coach, but he is a force as a defensive coordinator. I kind of got the feeling that Todd Bowles might be another one of those guys. So, you know, what do you think of your head coach? Are you happy he's still around? Are you, are you waiting for the next guy to come in? You know, and how did, how did he keep his job after 2017? Yeah, in terms of how I feel on him, I, I'm kind of mixed on him, and I think most of the fan base would be as well. There's some things that you could like out of him. He's been, especially coming after Rex Ryan, who is a really bombastic, kind of uh, strong personality. Bowles has been the opposite of that. He's kept things really even-keeled even and down-to-earth, and that's a big change for this franchise. has been kind of a, not a laughing stock, they did have their stretch of success, but kind of a circus kind of, franchise for a long time so he's been a really positive change in that way and the defensive focus has been there have been some guys break out on defense but for the most part I think he still does have a lot to prove his game management has been questionable just in terms of his aggressiveness his clock management uh, use his usage of timeouts things like that he can get better with and also one of the main things that I think a lot of people have a problem with is that like you said, he's a great defensive coordinator. He was a great defensive player with the Redskins back in the 80s and 90s. Mm-hmm. And even with his defensive focus, the Jets have invested a lot of first-round picks on defense. They picked Darren Lee in the first round, uh, the linebacker of Ohio State in 2016. They picked Adams last year. I think with him being such a defensive-centric guy, people expect more development out of the defense because – there still is a way to go. Adams had his struggles at times last year. Darren Lee has really struggled so far, even though he has started and played a lot of games. He has a long way to go. So I think people expected more out of the defense for the most part. But I do like, like I said, just the way he's kept things down to earth. That that will give him some longevity because it's good for the culture, good for a rebuilding team. But in terms of on the field, I think this is going to be a big year for him just to see if he can get – more development out of Jamal Adams, Darren Lee, key young guys like that. And there is more talent on the defense now. So I think at this point, if he's going to have three straight years with a mediocre or below average defense, even though there is kind of a lack of talent, that's kind of going to make us really question his uh, ability to develop talent. So it's definitely mixed with him in terms of both on the field and off the field. So going into the free agent period i mean there there was a uh, i was just i was reading an article about the whole chronicle of you know the jets and their recruitment or their their scouting i should say of of sam darnold and how they always kind of had their eye on him how it was always kind of the gem uh, of the gm's eye as far as you know who he wanted as far as the quarterback was concerned but plan a going into the offseason was kirk cousins uh or at least that's what i read and you know, I was wondering a how you felt about that, and then b the you know the rest of the the free agent uh, crop that the the Jets ended up uh, adding to the team this year. Yeah, the Kirk Cousins debate was from the minute the regular season ended to the minute that it was a done deal. Kirk Kirk Cousins going to the Vikings that was probably the most disgusting among Jets fans. There are people who wanted to shell out all the money for him because he's a good starter would be the best quarterback this team has arguably ever had, at least since Joe Namath. And there were people who thought that just let's wait it out to the draft. Let's get a young guy. Let's not shell out all the money for a guy who has not had a 10-win season, not won a playoff game, has been a good but not great kind of quarterback. And I think at 
the point when you're, we were going into the free agency period before the Jets had traded up. It was a kind of a smart thing to do to go after him just because the Jets had so much cap space and they have such a big hole quarterback. You never know how things were going to play out. So in hindsight, now that they have Darnold and the trade worked out, it's probably better off this way that they have him. But going into it before all that went down, I think it was smart for that to be your plan A because even though he hasn't won, I mean, we have to be honest that the Redskins haven't had that much talent. He's put up some really good numbers over there, consistently been a top 10, top 12 kind of guy. And at only 30 years old, I think I would have been on board for it even at that much money because he makes you a contender and he gives you a chance to just have stability at the position and build around him. So I would have been for signing Kirk Cousins, I think, but I do prefer the alternative the way it has played out. Mm-hmm. Um, and in terms of the other free agents they signed, obviously the big name was Tremaine Johnson, the corner they signed from the Rams. And I believe he is going to be the second highest paid corner annual, annually behind Josh Norman. And there are pluses and minuses to signing him because I don't think he's the second best corner in the league or really close to it. He's more of a top 15, top 20 kind of guy. But there's a lot of positive effects that come with signing him because, as I said earlier, as we know, the Jets drafted their two rookie safeties last year and developing them is a big part of the future. So signing Johnson just to take pressure off of them is really big. And another one of the big free agent moves they made was re-signing Morris Claiborne, who was their number one corner last year. They re-signed him to a one-year deal and having Claiborne as your number two guy next to Johnson, who, and Claiborne does have uh, injury issues. That's been a consistent problem with him. So having Johnson to put next to Claiborne definitely it's good for Claiborne and it's good for the two rookie safety so even though I don't think Johnson's ever going to live up to the contract in terms of how well he ranks at the cornerback position I think he's going to have a really positive impact on the growth of the rest of the defense so after after free agency I mean the the I thought one of the more interesting signings that the Jets did make um considering that after missing out on the Kirk Cousins sweepstakes or the two-man race because it's basically either going to be the Jets or the Vikings or at least that was the word uh anyway that he was going to sign with um so after missing out on Kirk Cousins uh I was surprised that you guys signed Teddy Bridgewater and uh, so far I'm hearing that it's turned out to be a pretty positive thing because he apparently is looking like the best quarterback on the roster at the moment Yeah, I think it was a really smart move because it has pretty much no risk. It's a one-year deal, and talking about a guy, a 25-year-old quarterback who has a Pro Bowl under his belt, that doesn't come on the market that often. So there's obviously, in terms of whether or not he can come back and be a good player, there's obviously a huge question there. He hasn't played a game or started a game in two and a half years, so it's definitely a big question mark there. But just to bring in a guy who's that young who was – high draft pick who was who was progressing in minnesota had some good moments is just a no risk move and if if obviously darnold is the guy long term but Mm -hmm. if bridgewater can come in and maybe up his trade value a little bit there's potential there and that's another big debate among fans do the jets trade him if a trade offer comes along before the season do they play him to increase his trade value but either way it's a good problem to have he's just another asset so at worst, he doesn't play up to the level he used to, and he comes and goes. But at best, maybe he does play. Maybe he does make the Jets a contender, at, or maybe some other team throws out a second-round pick or better for him. So I think it's definitely a really good low-risk move just to add some more talent to the quarterback room. You know, I, I, I felt the exact same way. I actually mentioned on, on this show, actually, when I was doing a, a free agency preview that um, – you know why not take a one-year flyer on on Teddy Bridgewater? And uh, you know it's if one of if if we've learned anything from the the Eagles is how important the backup quarterback position is and how hard it is to find a good one. I mean we landed Chase Daniels, so that was huge uh, for the Bears. We ended up doing really well in that spot. But before that even happened, before I even knew that was a possibility, a Teddy Bridgewater, you know, talk about a guy that's going to be super motivated to do whatever right. it is you ask him to do and you know like you said it's it's a low risk high reward uh type signing because if it works out 
that you know maybe you you get some picks out of him when when another quarterback Henry team uh, comes knocking for his services. You already signed Josh McCown, so you have him. Uh, you know, him in the bullpen just in case you, you know, and that helps make Teddy, Teddy Bridgewater maybe a little expendable because, you know, you can go to McCown if you need him. Right. And, you know, uh, and, and all that kind of stuff. There was so many more benefits to signing Bridgewater than, than uh, you know, than cons as far as the pro-con argument goes. I was fully in, in, in support if the Bears decide, like, you know what, let's let's give Teddy Bridgewater a shot and see what happens. He'll be our... He'll be our backup or, you know, he'll compete to be the backup and then we'll see what happens. Maybe he makes it out of training camp. Maybe he doesn't. Or like you said, maybe he uh, dazzles some people in the preseason and we get a third round pick out of it when, uh, you know, somebody goes down in the preseason or somebody wants a better backup quarterback on their team kind of thing. So, um, you know, I definitely thought it was a good move that uh, that you guys gave Bridgewater a shot and one that I was thinking that maybe I wouldn't be opposed to the Bears making if, if they decided uh, to do that. So moving forward to the draft, um, number one, how did you feel about the price that the jets paid to move from six to three? I mean, that's uh second round picks. That's, that's high real estate, uh, in right. the NFL, especially in the draft. And those were high second round picks as well. So, I mean, not only did you give up uh, a second rounder pick for this year, but one for next year, uh, as well, just to move up three tiny spots to uh, to be able to have a chance at a quarterback. And and the rumor going into the draft was that Darnold's coming off the board at one, so maybe you're going to get your hands on Rosen or Mayfield or somebody like that, thinking that uh, you know logic would kick in for Cleveland and they would take the best quarterback off the board <laughs> instead of taking a chance on uh, Mayfield, who I'm a huge fan of, to be honest with you. But I don't. I just don't understand. I don't know what his pro potential actually agree. is, but uh, you know, how did you, as a fan of the team that made that move, feel about the uh, the compensation, what they gave up to make that trade? I think that there are a lot of ways to look at this negatively. If you look at a trade chart, any kind of trade chart, it's a negative value. If you look at it in hindsight, you could say, oh, they could have stayed at six and maybe gotten Rosen, or maybe Darnold would still be there, but. Those are a lot of what ifs. And mm-hmm. this is a team that, like we said, has for a long, long time waited for a franchise quarterback to come along. So I was all for it, just going all in and putting all their eggs in one. Well, not to put all their eggs in one basket, but just being aggressive and going up there and going after this guy because this is what they need to come out of this offseason with. If they didn't get Kirk Cousins, they need to come out of the draft with a guy they could build their franchise around. So to not sit around and wait at number six and go up to number three. I thought that's a great move. And you can kind of say that maybe it's a little too high to not get to number one, but they, a, a big positive of this trade is that they didn't give up a first round pick. And for mm-hmm. a lot of the big trades that have happened recently, like the Redskins going up to get RG three, um, the Rams going up to get golf, the Eagles going up to get Wentz, all those trades, first round picks have been part of pretty much all of them so for the jets to not give up a first round pick that was a big win even though they did give up three second rounders so i was all for the aggressiveness and just understanding what the end goal was and that was to get a franchise quarterback and to maximize their chances of making it happen well i have a uh, a draft expert on the show every year to uh, on before and after uh the draft and and talking about that trade was one of the things that we covered going in and he is of the opinion and has been for as long as I've known him that you can never pay too much for a franchise quarterback. So, um, you know, three second round picks felt like small potatoes to him, especially like you said, in comparison to what other teams have given up to have a shot at their quarterback to move up and get their guy uh, and things like that would cost them multiple first round picks and, you know, somewhat sabotaging your future. Uh, banking on this one guy working out uh, going forward, so um, he would probably be in the in the in the um, in the area thinking that uh, you know it was a small price to pay if Darnold works out. Um, well, not even knowing it was going to be him at the time, but if the quarterback works out, three second round picks is going to seem like small potatoes right. compared to what other teams have given up to get their guy uh, as well. So, moving on to actual draft night. 
How did that go down for you guys? I mean, were you just absolutely in heaven after the Browns took Mayfield? Or, uh, you know, what what was going on in, in this Jet fan's mind when, when that all went down? I think among Jets fans, actually, among those top three guys, among Rose and Darnold Allen, I think it's pretty mixed. And I think a big factor in all this is that Darnold is pretty much the consensus number one guy. Right. So we never really even considered getting him. I mean, it was a possibility. It wasn't a foregone conclusion he's going number one, but it was the strongest possibility. So I think a lot of people kind of fell in love with Baker Mayfield and just his, uh, not aggressive personality, but just his out outgoing personality mm-hmm. and Josh Rosen and his unique personality and just perspective. So I think a lot of people got attached to them. So they weren't as as pumped about Darnold, but Mayfield going number one was definitely a big shock. And I think Darnold going to the Jets at number three, I think a lot of people have grown on it more as they've kind of gotten used to the fact that his just down to earth and football first and no nonsense personality is in terms of success. That is, I think that people have realized that having that is an advantage over what a may the attention that a may. Mayfield or Rosen would bring, even though it would probably be more exciting or fun with them. But that's what this franchise problem has been for a long time, going for the the big names in the flash instead of the football first people. So I think at first it wasn't like a extremely excited, but I think people were really happy to get Darnold still, even if it wasn't just uh, an extremely excited demeanor that a Mayfield or Rosen might have gotten. But mm-hmm. These three guys were just so close in terms of their perception, at least among Jets fans. And for me, too, I thought as long as it wasn't Josh Allen, I was going to be pretty happy. And they didn't get Josh Allen, and Darnold was definitely surprised to be there. So it felt really good. You know, it's, uh, I mean, was there any sense of deja vu moving up in the draft to draft a a USC quarterback again? Yeah, that's definitely talked about a lot. And I mean, just because I think that's something that you have to kind of put aside because, yes, they trade up for Sanchez. Yes, he went to USC, but even though they did both go to USC, it's just not really related at all. The coaching staff is different. The roster is obviously 100% different. So there is definitely some deja vu, and I think that scares some people. But if you are scared by that, I think you're just not seeing the whole thing because it's just a completely different scenario, and Darnold is definitely way ahead of Sanchez as a prospect at the time going number three instead of where Sanchez went so a little bit of deja vu definitely but I think fans are definitely a little more upbeat about this one plus wasn't Darnold a multiple year starter at USC and Sanchez was only a one-year starter at USC so he has a ton of more uh, game experience coming into the into the league than Sanchez did yeah, definitely. And there's just, uh, from a pure talent standpoint, that's a lot to like about Darnold. And he is young, and he's probably one of the more raw guys in terms of mechanics among the top prospects, which is why Josh McCown, Teddy Bridgewater are there, maybe to give him half a season or the, even maybe even the tired season to sit out. And in terms of the entire season, I probably wouldn't go for that. But if it's going to be half a season, maybe he'll take that. But yeah, we'll definitely see. But from a raw tools standpoint, he's definitely ahead of where Sanchez was. So I think the USC comparisons are not really fair between those two. More of a coincidence than anything, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So after taking um, Darnold, excuse me, and um, trading away the second round currency that you did have, it was another 69 picks before the... Um, Jets were able to take another player at number 72 overall. This is the eighth pick in the third round. Uh, they went with uh, Nathan Shepard, a deten- defensive tackle from Fort Hayes State. Do you have any idea where that is? I do. I do now since they drafted him. I right. believe it is in Kansas, but Kansas. I'm okay. not going to lie to you. I had never heard of Fort Hayes State before this draft pick so division two yeah, the, division three I mean you know what division of football that is I've never heard of this that place before um, it, it's one it's one of those two I think it's division three I think it's division three I'm not completely sure but it's one of those two yeah because I'm looking at the little uh little blurb about him and it doesn't mention that he's a lower level athlete well you sure as hell know he's not d1 I mean there's no Fort Hayes State in the in the <laughs> power five conferences that's for sure 
But um, then you get uh, the fourth-round pick. You take uh, Chris Herndon, a tight end, out of Miami, and then three sixth-rounders, uh, a cornerback, Perry Nickerson from uh, Tulane, Florenzo Futa- Fata- you got yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. Fatukasi, F-A-T-U-K-A-S-I. I'm going to need my, uh, my, my draft guy has a, a website, draftcountdown.com. He actually has a pronunciation guide on how to pronounce names like this for guys going into the draft. I'm going to need to look that up to find out how to pronounce that. Nonetheless, he is a defensive lineman out of UConn. And then wrapping up with uh, running back Trenton Cannon uh, running from Virginia, Virginia State. Um, so what do you think of, of what was left of the draft? I mean, for, for from a layman's perspective, it was Darnold and then everybody else as far as oh, yeah. who you guys expect or who someone would expect to see any kind of production out of this year or going forward for that matter. Yeah, I mean, the the guys they picked after Darnold were really, for the most part, pretty under-the-radar guys. And, I mean, that's obviously what you're mostly getting once you go into day three in the later rounds. But sure. even, like, some of the bigger-name guys who slipped, they didn't really go for any of those. But for the most part, a lot of the, like, pro football focus, a lot of the grades out there were really high in the values they got. Um, I think that you're not really looking for any starters out of this group, but... From Nathan Shepard, I think he might have a chance to compete as a rotational D lineman. Mm-hmm. Um, Cannon might have a chance as a returner, but I think the guy who's actually gotten the most buzz among Jets fans is Perry Nickerson. He's the reason he went six is probably because of size. I believe he's five ten, five eleven, so he projects as a slot corner. But if you watch the tape on him, watch him play, he's a ton of pass breakups. He makes a lot of plays in coverage, so I think a lot of people are actually higher on him of all the late round picks and especially with i mentioned him before when talking about the miami game that they blew buster screen he's he's our veteran slot corner he's been around since 2015 and he's really inconsistent yet he's had some great games he's had some absolutely terrible games and fans are kind of iffy on him so that's uh could be a reason why i think nickerson is one of the fan favorites of the later round of the draft but another move that they made late in the draft on day three is they traded a seventh round pick for uh, a defensive end from the Colts, Henry Anderson. And he's a guy who's when healthy because he has missed a lot of games and he had a pretty serious throat injury last season, Henry Anderson, he's been a pretty strong run defender. And with him coming over, he's probably one of the more accomplished guys now because there's a lot of unproven players on the D line after, uh, some of the exodus over the past few seasons. So he's one of the unheralded moves that should go along with the rest of the draft, giving up a seventh rounder for Henry Anderson from the Colts, who's a pretty strong run defender when he's healthy. So I would throw that in there too. But overall, this is Darnold's draft, and it's going to be judged by how Darnold pans out. Correct. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Uh, Was there anybody in the uh, undrafted free agent crop that uh, anybody's excited about or has made any kind of buzz in the OTAs uh, thus far or anything like that? Uh, In terms of OTAs so far, I don't think there's been any of them making too strong of a buzz. But the one guy definitely, as soon as they signed him, who has been the number one UDFA, that has to be Dimitri Flowers, the Oklahoma fullback. I think a lot of people were surprised to see him go undrafted, probably thinking he'd be a kind of early fifth or early third day kind of guy but he did go undrafted and the jets picked him up and the jets do use the fullback more than a lot of teams do and the guy they had at fullback last year was lawrence thomas who was a converted d tackle and he was not really that great in that position so if the jets are going to continue to use the fullback as much as they did then i think there is a lot of room for them to get more positive contribution from that position. So I don't think there's a lot of competition there with just Thomas from last year who converted from defense. So if Flowers is as good as a lot of the fans have hyped him up to be, and he did do a lot of stuff well at at Oklahoma. He came out of the backfield, caught some passes. He passed protected well, made some good run blocks. So I think he definitely has the best chance to make the roster out of any of the undrafted free agents they signed. So going into the uh, or looking forward, I should say to the uh, to the schedule, um, you start out with three out of four on the road. You start Monday night um, 
on the road at Detroit, uh, your home for Miami to start off the home schedule, then on the road at um, Cleveland, and that's a Thursday night game, so you're getting that one out of the way uh, right off the bat, and then Jacksonville to start or to finish off the first quarter of the year. And, um, you know, I I got to be honest with you, I'm, I'm not hating your chances in those first uh, four games. Aside from, you got like, you got a tough game with Detroit and you got a tough one with Jacksonville, but Miami, Cleveland, you know, those were games that you were in and that you have, you know, that were tough last year. And then obviously Cleveland couldn't beat me and 10 of my closest friends last year. So, you know, that's a 50 50 game. It, you know, if they're anything like they were last year, you know, could be another uh, gateway for you guys to get off to a, to a decent start like you did last year. Yeah, it's definitely kind of looking like a little bit of a soft start. Like you said, start with, and playing in Detroit is tough, but. We'll see the Lions. They're really inconsistent. And then Miami, Cleveland, like you said. Uh, and Jacksonville, I mean, they have an awesome roster, and they were so close to the Super Bowl last year. But I mean, the Jets beat Jacksonville at MetLife last year. Yeah, so they did. we know they can play with them. And that was actually a really weird game because that, that was the Jets' biggest offensive yardage output of the entire year against the number one defense in the league. So <laughs> as the season went on, that game looked like to be such an outlier the way both those teams panned out over the rest of the year so we'll see how the home road plays a factor there but we know the jets can compete with jacksonville based on last year sure and then after that playing denver and the colts two teams who were not good last year and we'll see with denver if case keenum can uh revive that offense because they do still have defensive talent but yeah definitely a chance for them to get off to another strong start so we'll see what happens there um and it'll be interesting to see with the quarterback situation. That's going to be big on if they compete. Because if Darnold starts, as much as I love him and think he'll be pretty good long term, rookie quarterbacks just in general do not do very well in their first year. It's extremely rare to get actually good quarterback play from a rookie. Mm-hmm. Not just promising in terms of their long term outlook, but actually above average solid quarterback play from a rookie is really rare so we'll see if darnold wins the job how how fast he acclimates and gets playing well but if teddy bridgewater can win the job i think there might be upside for him to be average or better and that could really help them to get off to a strong start but if josh mccann wins the job and he was good last year he was solid like i said a big part of why they were competitive but he is just really inconsistent year to year over his career. He's the five win, five wins he got last year. That was a career high for him. So, if McCown wins the job in terms of their the team's outlook for success this year, I think it that would be maybe even less upside than Darnold, just because the how volatile his career has been with his numbers. It'll be hard to trust him to repeat what he did last year. So we'll see who wins the job and how that affects their early season and outlook for the entire season. So as you mentioned in the second quarter there, you got Denver and Indianapolis and Minnesota, all three at home before finishing out the first half on the road at Chicago. When you come home, come home, come here to the Chicago area to play the bears. Um, You got week nine on the road again with the dolphins and then home for the bills before a week 11 by any theories on the, or feelings, thoughts, theories on on a bye week and when's the best time to have them or, or anything like that. Like when the schedule comes out, those are two things that most people look for is when the national TV games are and when the bye week is. And for the Jets, for the second year in a row, it's week 11. I honestly think that – I don't think there's anything too bad about a late bye, but I think an early bye is kind of a negative just because that – like if you have the, I believe – I believe the earliest you can have a bye is week five. Is that it? Or week four, maybe? I think that's a little early in the season to kind of have it because it leaves you with the entire stretch run. And you have your bye week early. You don't have that much to look back on and evaluate and move on from. And it is a good rest opportunity. So to have that after only uh, like a quarter of the season of real games, I think that's kind of a loss. But I don't think there's anything too bad about a late bye. But... With the Jets, I think that a bye week could be a good time for switching in a new quarterback, and that is definitely looking like a strong possibility to happen at some point this season for them. So 
having it a little bit later than the halfway point might complicate things a little bit, but if there's a switch to be made, I think you can make it during the week. So I don't think the bye week will have too strong an impact on, at least for the Jets this year. And as I'm looking at the uh, schedule here in the second half, uh, a lot of important football being played by the Jets in the second half because five of your six division games are in the final eight games of the schedule. So that first half, those first eight games, Miami week two, the only division game on the schedule, but from week nine to week 17, five of those games, Miami, Buffalo, New England, Buffalo again, and then New England to close out the year. That's, uh, you know, if, if the Jets are even remotely decent, that's a lot of important football to be being played that late in the season. Oh, yeah, definitely. So two of the last six games against New England. And the Jets and New England, I mean, the Pats have dominated this rivalry. But for the most part, the Jets have played them pretty tough, especially at home. I don't think – I believe since Rex Ryan came – to the Jets, which was 2009, I think the Pats have only dominated the Jets, like won by more than one score. I'm pretty sure it's only happened once. So for the most part, they do play competitive. So I guess saving the Pats for later in the year maybe gives them a chance to build some momentum and make, them, make those games meaningful by the end of the year. But it'll definitely be interesting to see. And another interesting thing is that the Jets are closing in Foxborough this year, which is the same as last year when they closed in Foxborough. So two years in a row closing out there is pretty interesting and with buffalo i think that so they play them two weeks out of four in the second half and Mm -hmm. those two are they've also been pretty close over the past few years they split last year the jets beat them on thursday night the bills won the opening week of the year before the jets kind of got their groove going so and the bills are an interesting team because they got back to the playoffs last year they won nine games but just based on their net points and the way they're, they played overall and their schedule, they were kind of lucky to make it last year. And even with their moves last year and even into this year, it seems like they're trying to make it clear that they're rebuilding. So it doesn't even seem like that they're trying to actually build off of that, which is pretty smart because, like like I said, that they're trying to rebuild going into last year and making the playoffs was kind of a surprise. So. It'll be interesting to see if the Bills come back down to earth or if they build off that playoff year. So, I mean, you got, um, you know, like I said, you got five division games out of the last, in the the last eight games of the schedule. You got a a road game at Tennessee and then a home game against the Texans and then Green Bay week 16 before finishing off the year at, um, New England, and it's um, you know I'm not really I'm I'm a I'm a guy that I, I can easily pick up on patterns, and aside from the five out of six division games in the second half of the schedule, I'm not seeing a lot of well actually it's two on two home two on the road two on two at home that kind of thing, but you know it, it's overall what what are you thinking about the uh, what are you thinking about the schedule? I mean in in division football, um, you know you're playing somebody that you you see twice a year. These are teams that are very familiar. Uh, with each other you know it's it's it very much is one of those you can throw the rule book or you know the record books out when these teams get together uh kind of thing and you know obviously it's you're probably going to lose more than you win against the patriots but it's still football and it can, anything can happen uh kind of thing i mean the two of your five wins last year were against the chiefs and the uh jaguars uh last yeah. year so i mean those were surprising wins uh, coming from the Jets and, and, and things like that. So, I mean, that just proves the whole any given Sunday theory. You know, how are you feeling about the schedule when you get a chance to look at it whole? Uh, so, I guess you're looking at the, playing the NFC North, the AFC South, and they get the two in-conference games based on placement. That would be the Browns and the Colts. So, I think that kind of balances out overall because I think the NFC North will be tough. Uh, the Lions are usually somewhere around 500, I think. Yeah, you're right. I think your Bears are kind of a dark horse to maybe be something. It all depends on Trubisky, but I think they made some really interesting additions. So they could come back, and Green Bay, as long as Rodgers is playing, they should be contenders, and Minnesota with Cousins, and they obviously have a really talented roster all around. So I think at your guys' division, looking at the NFC North, that's kind of tough, but... On the other side, the AFC South, I think that kind of balances out 
Mm-hmm. Uh, with, with Jacksonville, they're a really good team, but at the end of the day, this is a division that the division winner won 10 games last year, and anytime that happens, it's not really a great division. So we'll see with the Colts, but I mean, they're really a ton of question marks there, and I think Houston will be interesting. They have a chance to be good, but between those four teams, I think you're looking at probably one playoff team, and mm-hmm. they were lucky with Tennessee getting in last year. And like Buffalo, they were kind of a team that was benefited from a four-team tiebreaker to get in. But I think that it all kind of bounces out. It's not especially difficult or especially easy, but I think that when you look at the schedule before the season, it really differs from the way it actually plays out because right. I remember in – 2015 looking at their schedule before the season we kind of thought Miami is going to have a good season the Colts are coming off an AFC championship appearance and their schedule looked kind of tough but the way 2015 played out they had an extremely easy schedule and they took advantage of that so it's always tough to judge before the season but I guess having the finishing last pace last year so getting to play Cleveland and the Colts could be kind of a plus but even Cleveland could be improved this year so We'll see how it plays out, but overall, I think... But there is one one thing that I do think is a plus. The Jets never play well when they go to the West Coast, so avoiding the AFC and NFC West, I definitely think that's good for them. Well, you got the Broncos, but they're coming to you, so, I mean, that's... Uh, that. You're right, you don't make any West Coast trips, and uh, as far as traveling, I think the furthest West you guys go is Detroit. Just looking yeah, at this. Yeah, that's true, so... Because it's, uh, you know, you got Tennessee, your road games are Detroit, Jacksonville, Cleveland, Chicago, Miami, obviously, Buffalo, obviously, New England, and then Tennessee. So, honestly, I think the furthest west that you guys travel is Detroit. No, wait, I'm sorry. Chicago is yeah, further Chicago, west than that. Chicago, yeah. Chicago is the furthest west that you go uh, this year. So, I mean, tra- there's there should be no, um, you know, jet lag or anything like that or... Uh, uh, travel hangovers for for you guys because the every everywhere you travel to is practically a bus trip uh, this year uh, for the uh, for the Jets. So you you guys should be pretty fresh uh, just about any game that you travel to this year. So that is a very positive thing because yeah. the one West Coast team that you play is coming to you. Yeah, that kind of, and I mentioned 2015. It kind of brings back vibes from that season when they did play one London game, but that's pretty much a neutral game, and they did win that game. And they had one road game against the Giants. So the way things played out, it was almost like they played nine home games, one neutral game, and six road games. So that right. was a huge advantage. So kind of getting those kind of vibes back in terms of the travel being favorable, especially for this team, which is historically bad when they go out west. So I think that's the biggest positive takeaway from the schedule overall. So what what would be like a best case scenario, worst case scenario uh, for you? Like what would you call the best case scenario for the Jets? Well, in terms of record, I think I could see as a best case 10 wins. I don't think they have the upside at quarterback or offensive line. I think there are too many holes to say they could be like a surprise elite team, like 11 wins or more. But if they get good play out quarterback, whether that's a great Darnold rookie year or Bridgewater coming in and being 2015 Bridgewater, if they can get that out of the quarterback position and the defense progresses, I think they're, I think they could win 10 games to make the playoffs as a best case. But I also think that if you get Darnold comes in and you get rookie quarterback play, which is fine because it doesn't cancel out him having a successful career. Just because like, for example, Jared Goff, he was, absolutely terrible in 2016 but he looks pretty fine now so i think if you get rookie kind of play from darnold or josh mccown plays and he regresses back to his career averages then if that happens and the offensive line continues to be shaky and the secondary still doesn't really live up to the hype then i could see them winning maybe around five games again but i think the overall goal of the season just has to be sam darnold and going forward having positive uh something to build off with him and like i said that doesn't mean him lighting it up or even having a winning record you just want to at least get him in there if they're not going to like for example if teddy bridgewater wins the job and plays well and they compete win a lot of games then that's fine if sam Darnold's going to sit out for that 
because that's something that as an entire organization you could build off of. But if that's not going to happen, at least get Sam Darnold some playing time, get him acclimated, and see some positive things to build off of. All right. Well, Mike, thanks so much uh, for uh, being on the uh, being on the show. Uh, where can we uh, find you uh, online? Where can we read your stuff? Uh, yeah, you could check out most of my stuff at Gangrene Nation through sbnation.com. So you can find most of my stuff there. Also at turnonthejets.com, another Jets blog. And you could follow me on Twitter at Michael Nania. That's Michael underscore N-A-N-I-A. All right. Mike, thanks so much uh, for being on the show. Uh, like I said, we play week number eight uh, this year. I'd love to have you back when uh, when we're getting ready to butt heads and uh, talk about where the season is and what to expect uh, when our teams uh, meet on the gridiron. Yeah, for sure. It'll definitely be an interesting turning point for both of our teams. Got two young quarterbacks, so it'll definitely be interesting to see where they're at at that point. So, yeah, definitely. All right. Well, thanks so much uh, for, uh, for coming on, Mike. We'll talk to you again real soon. Thanks for having me on. Michael Nania from Gang Green Nation. Uh, thanks again for uh, being on the show. Was happy to have him, and really glad to be able to get that Jets show done in in the proper order uh, for this uh, for this season. So uh, really glad that we were able to get that to uh, work out. And uh, when we were talking uh, off mic after the uh, after the interview, mentioned that he was going to be starting a uh, podcast of his own on the um, Turn on the Jets. Uh, he's going to, uh, you know, start a podcast of his own there that yours truly uh, will most likely be a guest on during Bear Week uh, for the uh, for the New York Jets. So, uh, kind of like I was on a couple of shows last year uh, with, uh, you know, Tyler Raymond and the New Orleans Saints and and uh, the the Houdat podcast and and so on. You'll be able to hear me on on other shows uh, uh, as well. So, uh, looks like we might be doing a. Uh, one one uh you know uh, scratch scratch my back i'll scratch yours kind of thing with the uh, podcasting uh in uh, during the season so it's week eight the bears and jets at soldier field uh this time around so um like i said it will be interesting to see where those t- where the teams are at that point will darnold be playing um you know will he be in there because he's the best quarterback on the roster will he be in there because teddy bridgewater and or josh mccown stunk the joint up and they might as well let the rookie play it's always interesting that you know how it is a rookie finds his way onto the field. I mean, we found out the hard way that um, you know Trubisky and uh, you know his talent could not be bottled up uh, anymore. You wanted to bring him along slowly and try to let him develop throughout the 2017 season, uh, especially considering the tools that he had at his disposal or the extreme lack thereof, which was my beef the entire season, but. Um, you know, when Glennon comes out there laying golden turds every single snap on the field, uh, you got to put the kid in there. And, and just to give us, I mean, the point of the game, as Herm Edwards famously said years ago as head coach of the New York Jets, uh, coincidentally, you play to win the game. So, I mean, every week, whether or not you think you're going to win the Super Bowl that year, you're going out there with the intention of winning every single game you take part in. And Trubisky at quarterback gave us our best chance to win each and every Sunday versus Mike Glennon, uh, you know, as far as those being our choices. Now, will that be the same thing that unfolds for the Jets? Will Darnold just win the job straight up in training camp? Will he win it on the field in the preseason? Or will he be forced into duty, A, because McCown and, and Bridgewater are just crap, or, you know, somebody gets hurt, so on and so forth. What will be the circumstances that find Sam Darnold on the field in 2018 if he finds himself there? So uh, it'll be interesting to see where they're at at that point, where he is at that point, where the team in general is uh, as they close out the first half of the season, week number eight uh, in Chicago. So uh, as I mentioned before the interview, the next show will be Thursday. Uh, when we have Kevin Noggle from Finsiders, another SB Nation site, talking about the Miami Dolphins. And, uh, you know, talk to him about what it was like for him to have Jay Cutler as a quarterback in 2017. Uh, was he as beloved in Miami as he was in Chicago? That should be fun to talk about. And uh, how is he enjoying Adam Gase? And um, what are his feelings on Dole Loggins having any input on your offensive strategy 
in 2018. I mean, the thought of it now just made me throw up in my mouth a little bit. So uh, I wonder what's going on with him. Is he looking at it optimistically because uh, he's 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 the offensive coordinator, but he's not calling anything. Adam Gase is calling his own play, so we'll be okay there. Or I don't want this guy anywhere near my offense. <laughs> we'll see how he feels about that. Among all the other trade, you know, the the possible, you know, what the the Jarvis Landry trade and letting him go. What are his thoughts on that and everything else? Ryan Tannehill coming back. The Dolphins not going and getting a quarterback, showing uh, faith and and hope in Ryan Tannehill for at least one more year coming off the ACL surgery uh, and everything. Lots to cover with uh, with Kevin and uh, you know. The talking about the the 2017 and going forward to the 2018 uh, Miami Dolphins should be a lot of fun. So tune in Thursday night, maybe first thing on Friday to talk about the Dolphins, and then we'll move into next week with the Bills and the Patriots and close out the AFC East and move on to the NFC West. So it's all happening. Before you know it, it'll be time to talk about training camp and the preseason and the regular season. Knocking on the door, so can't wait. So. Anyway, that is going to do it for part one of our AFC East preview. We'll see you back here in a few days for part two with the Miami Dolphins. Until then, my name is Larry D, and this has been the Chicago Bears Review. The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate, how a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word, Broomgate.